Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 480 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, joined with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? This is time I could have been using to watch The Flash as people are already putting spoilers out online and people are having to get muted because of it, unfortunately. Oh, no, the dreaded mute button. Yep, I'm sorry. You know who you are. I got a I got a text, but uh, I've pretty much shut my phone down, so yep, yep, I'm good to go. So it's just the way have... this rec- the recording of these shows go, man. Uh, there was mm-hmm. talk that we were going to delay things so we could watch the Flash, the season finale or the mid season finale, and all the crisis stuff, but mm-hmm. time just don't work that way, man's. No, it doesn't. But we do have a wonderful full show to do other stuff with. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. Even though we're light on news once again, because tis the season for light news. But uh, we do have one small story uh, that two famous creators that worked together in the past have seemed to have squashed their beef and they're working together again. So that's pretty cool. Um, we have uh, con news. Um, we have digital sales. Wait a minute. Freebies and digital sales. That's back again. Um, what we Our read great last national nightmare is over. Thank that you. is true. Cause Joe checked shortly before we recorded as he always does. Um, what we read last week, which was inferior five, number four and dead eyes, number three, which used to be dead rabbit. But as we've discussed on past episodes, what we're looking forward to this week, um, a couple of art attacks and also the mailbag is back once again. And at the end of, Full talk, spoiler filled of Flash from last week, not the Crisis episode, but the 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 uh, two parter that leads into Crisis, uh, Supergirl and Batwoman, which were part of you know the big Crisis crossover, and the Mandalorian. Full TV talk at the end, so you know keep your hat on, yes, or your helmet, you know, as the Mandalorian has to do, right, or be shamed or whatever it is. Yeah, very get, yeah, you get helmet shamed, and that's not good. So, Todd, did you watch The Toys That Made Us? No, I didn't. But you and a couple other people told me to watch a certain episode. And I may go do that shortly after I watch Crisis. Right. I haven't gotten a chance to watch the Netflix, I guess, adjacent show of the movies that made us. But I think the movies that made us might be for movies a little bit younger folks than me. Because I'm an Mm -hmm. old man. And you're also an old man. I'm an older man. Get it straight. Right. But uh, they do a bunch of interesting things. Uh, this season of The Toys That Made Us was uh, wrestling figures, mm-hmm. which the first third was tons of really good information. And then the second, the, the other two thirds was a very quick brush through the next 20 years with <laughs> uh, a few to many uh, inaccuracies. Uh-oh. Uh, The Power Rangers one, I didn't know as much, but I understand there was inaccuracies there. I enjoyed the My Little Pony one because I know next to nothing about My Little Pony, so it was very entertaining. And then the other one that I know tangentially of is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because it was based on a comic book property. And the creators of the comic book, their story is very well known and popular in comic book fandom. 
Well, spoilers for the toys that made us, but spinning out of that, for the first time in however many years, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird are going to reunite to make a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic. Yep, from IDW. Yes, IDW that has been um, publishing Ninja Turtles stuff for the past several years. I think they acquired it off Archie and whatever sort of deal that was that Archie was putting out the comics mm-hmm. like at some point. But I guess in the issue of Ninja Turtles that comes out this week, there's a giant one-page ad uh, that says, This summer, the last Ronin, Eastman and Laird. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I – I think I may have told you this on the show before or out together because this the, – the reason I said they're doing it at IDW is because Peter Laird – like because obviously Eastman sold the company to Peter to Peter Laird and then left. And then Peter Laird sold it to Nickelodeon, I guess. Um, when he did that and he lost, you know, lost all the rights to you know merchandising and, and comics and everything, part of the deal was he gets to do 18 comics a year under that old Mirage imprint in that old timeline, if you know what I mean. Right. So I was wondering when I saw this come across, you know, the newswire, the ticker tape that we have, I was like, oh, is this going to be blah, blah, blah. Is this going to be like, you know, Laird producing it under Mirage? I was like, that doesn't seem right because IDW is going to want that check. You know what I mean? For those books, like the first book that Laird and Eastman have done together. And like you said, for how many years? Um, So it's going to be IDW. And I guess it's probably going to be in that, you know, IDW modern turtle timeline. I don't care. I'll probably pick it up for old timey sake because I, I'm a Mirage, Eastman and Laird guy. Love all those books, the, especially the continuity ones that are in continuity. Um, so I want to see what this is. I'm look. I'm very much looking forward to it. Right. So that was gonna be my question to you: Is are they going to have to explicitly say that this is part of continuity or out of continuity? I think they'll just say it's in the. Not even say it. It'll be in the IDW continuity, and that'll mm-hmm. be it. Like because that's the one that that they're pushing. They uh, occasionally, I think there was a crossover where they did the old Mirage ones showed up recently. But uh, I'm guessing, you know, like I said, they it'll be the IDW one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it was a very emotional moment, so I'm glad that it took that documentary and those folks making that documentary put those two guys back together again because obviously it was a very um well publicized parting of ways right and uh yeah i'm trying to so figure it's, out it's, it's cool to see uh the old team back together as it were right and i'm trying to figure out if uh there's an anniversary of that coming up you know what i mean that that'll be special like because uh oh no we just had the what uh it was 80, 88 that they twenty. No, that would have been nineteen eighty three. I think was when the uh, the turtles debuted because tw- uh, two thousand eight was the twenty fifth anniversary of it. That I met them in New York, so I was thinking maybe we're getting close to an anniversary that they would push that on. But there's no round like you know five or round number that they're gonna have coming up. So I was wrong. There you go. That's really it in the news. Um, You know, things are slow. All the announcements are as they were. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, conventions also kind of sort of slow. Not a ton of biggies going on. 
Uh, there's Heroes Comic Con in Madrid, not to be confused with Heroes Con in North Carolina. <laughs> uh, Paul Pope, R.B. Silva, Al Ewing, Mark Bagley, Jill Thompson going to be there. That's a that's a great lineup, and that's a great way to spend uh, uh, your December in beautiful Spain. But if you want to stay in the States, of course, Big Apple Comic Con is going on this weekend. Larry Hama, Tom DeFalco, Neil Adams, Jim Steranko, some of the big heavy hitters of the 60s, 70s, and 80s right there. And on the media guest side, the one that's jumped out to me was Peter Scolari. Oh, the real talent to come out of Bosom Buddies. <laughs> well, he did go on and have that extended run on Newhart. Mm-hmm. And he also had Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. What? How dare you try to fill Rick Moranis' shoes? How dare you? Well, Rick Moranis wanted to raise his kids during those years when his wife had passed away. I That's... think that was before. I think Rick Moranis was still doing other stuff. He just didn't want to sink to doing TV. What? I think Rick would have been all over. I call him Rick. Um, <laughs> all over. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show. Uh, I call him Ricky, baby. Ooh, what's up? <laughs> Anyway, uh, so when I was putting the show notes together, it got me thinking, why do I not know the name and artist of the song that they replaced Billy Joel's My Life on Bosom Buddies with for syndication? See, I thought they kept it for syndication. It was the DVDs. They couldn't use it. No, no, it definitely... Uh, it, it, it might have been in syndication for a bit, but I know it might have been like the later season episodes even. Okay. But I'm like, I know it was a song that replaced it, but I just can't remember the name or artist of it. And I don't want to look on the internet right now while we're doing the show. Uh, see, I, I never heard it anywhere on syndication as other than, you know, My Life by Billy Joel. So I'll take your word for it. Right. And that's something that doesn't happen to, well, besides the fact that there's, no TV shows that have like an actual song with lyrics mm -hmm. as their opening theme, but let alone like take a song for a popular artist that kind of already exists in the zeitgeist and just be like, yeah, this is the theme to our show now. Yeah. There's a lot of legal things. They don't do that. That might be one of the main reasons nobody does it. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. It's like, Oh, we all learn from the wisdom of bosom buddies. <laughs> Boy, Bosom Buddies had a lot of great episodes. Uh, are you? Is that sarcasm or is that real? No, that's a show that I have very fond memories of. If you listen to After Dark this week, you'll hear us talking about things that are just as good today as they were when they were children. And I, I, I'm never going to go back and watch anything other than the opening credits mm -hmm. with the Billy Joel theme song in it for Bosom Buddies. But I choose to remember that every episode of Bosom Buddies that I watched from my childhood is great and still is great today. Right. Because as we've said, I think it was on one of the, uh, the uh, after darks when we were talking about, when we did Dragnet, how much we miss Tom Hanks doing comedy. Right. And that was him at the, like, I remember watching Bosom Buddies. I know this is a comic book show, but him just standing out and be like, oh my God, this guy is funny. And now I want to go back and watch Bosom Buddies. But anyway. Anyway, links to this will be in the show notes. <laughs> These conventions, as will links to soon to be named network, uh, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. 
Uh, anytime any of the shows in the network, friends, folks, like-minded individuals put their show out, we put it up on the site there. It's one handy-dandy stop that you can get all those podcasts. We are the best podcatcher in the world. We are the Lamborghini of podcast networks, soon-to-be-named network, whether it be this show, whether it be Longbox Heroes After Dark, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wednesday Night War, Final Wrestling Places Late. When you are going to be late on your show and then you put a timetable of when you're going to be out on and then you miss that timetable, I say shame. I'm pointing at you and saying shame. Mm -hmm. I know Tim and Marcus had busy weekends, but they said it'll be out Tuesday morning and here it is Wednesday morning and it still ain't out yet. I won't even go down that road with you. That's right. And I've been slacking on this. I've made a more concerted effort. I can never remember who starts the show. It's mm-hmm. only been 480 episodes, but <laughs> I've been forgetting to shame a former member, a former active member of the soon-to-be-named network, Jason Kirk. David Kincannon still does a lot of stuff for us behind the scenes. Uh, music, bumpers, edits, uh, logos, images, stuff like that. Uh, but Jason Kirk has abandoned all internet activity. And I said that I was going to give away his email address one letter at a time until he came back to social media. And I missed a bunch of weeks. So I'm just going to say where I think it should be. Uh, mm-hmm. K-I-R-K-M-A-N. Oh. We're into the bits where it's going to start to reveal itself a little bit more as it's now part of the official show notes. And I just want to say, he didn't he didn't leave the network because he didn't pay the union dues. It was something else, right? Because you well, know, got to keep up union on those dues for the dues. network. I think is a deal that you've concocted in the last couple of days. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right, there are no union dues for our soon to be ne- uh, named network. Listen, just because you took a contract and whited out uh, Guido and 3D's names on it, oh. and then put. Ian and Jared and Craig and Ray and everybody else who's in the network just put their names into it. For shame, mm. I say. For shame, Todd. Okay, don't be talking about other people's contracts, Joe. All right. I got a joke later to in- incriminate myself. Don't worry about it. This is throwing the pages in the script. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, digital sales and freebies. But again, let's hit something before we get to the normal ones that we hit. Uh, we want to talk about local creator uh, Mark Schultz, who's having a sale on his stuff this weekend or this week, as it were. Yes, I guess for a Christmas sale, he puts his stuff out through a company called Flesk, who has other creators like there is uh, like ElfQuest stuff by Wendy uh, Piney or Peeny. I'm not sure how to say her name, uh, but like that and. Mark Schultz has some portfolios. He has a, a book set that you can get that uh, has uh, his hardcover portfolio of the complete various drawings of Mark Schultz, a Carbon 3 paperback, Storms at Sea hardcover, and one of his various designs book, which is like a hardcover of his art. And also at this place, if you're a big fan of Xenoxoic, uh, Tales. There's a sale on that book, which I can't recommend enough. I love that. I hear there's rumors that Mark will be, you know, doing another chapter or volume of that. And like I said, there's tons of other artists that you might like or enjoy that have either uh, groups of books or individual books for sale. Um, until as this show drops on uh, Wednesday, I think the sale is good till Friday or Saturday. 
Um, so get in there. There's some great prices, and you can't go wrong with any of Mark Schultz's stuff. Right, and some of the other stuff in there, there's Al Williams stuff in there. There's collections of Prince Valiant stuff, if mm-hmm. that's more up your your uh, whatever. Uh, like right. so They have the bundles, as Todd mentioned, but then they have the individual things where books that typically retail on the site for as much as 20 to $40 or down to 10 bucks, and then the entire Mark Schultz collection, which is four books retail on the site at 135 is on there for 45 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan and you wanted to get something or you know a fan, uh, art books are really cool. I agree. Yes, but some of the digital sales and freebies that we have going on this week. Uh, digital sales, DC is having a sale entitled DC Through the Ages. And of course, Dark Knight Returns is in there. Of course, Batman Year One is in there. But tons of other stuff is in there. Give a lot of other stuff a try. There's more to the DC Universe than than, than, than just those two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel is having a sale on Star Wars stuff, both old stuff they acquired from Dark Horse, their own reprints from the late 70s, early 80s, and the more current stuff as they are getting ready to revamp the book, relaunch the book with a new number one kind of taking place in between New Hope and Empire. Is that the No, pitch? between, uh, that's where the old book, the, the latest Marvel book was. This will be between Empire and Jedi. Wasn't between Empire and Jedi the book Shadows of the Empire, or has that been retconned out with everything that's been going on? I think a lot of that stuff has been retconned out with a few uh, standouts, but uh, I'm not 100% where Shadows of the Empire, was that between Jedi and... Yes. Okay, I get confused on... between Empire and Jedi. Okay. Very much so. That's, you know, that was one of the things that got the full marketing blitz for a book and a video game and toys. I've still got my Dash Rendar figure and Chewbacca in Kashyyyk disguise or whatever it was. Oh. Mm -hmm. I got all that. And then IDW, of course, based on the news, but it's been going on already. uh, They have all of their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle related stuff on sale until the middle of January. So maybe you get a Comixology gift card or some sort of finagling through your Amazon account. You can certainly check those things out. The other sales are good for about a week. And uh, as I mentioned before, the long national nightmare is over. As Marvel has released free comic books individually to folks. Now, I don't know how long this is going to be for, of course, but it is my duty as a podcaster to inform you, the listener, of these things as they happen. Our free sampling from Marvel this week is the first issue of the Spider-Geddon miniseries from last year, the first issue of Avengers Assemble, which was the first Bendis spinoff to his new Avengers, uh, Black Widow number one, and I know that's not going to narrow things down, but it's the Josh Williamson, Phil Noto one from about three, four years ago. I love I know that I like that one very much. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. And also included in there is Scroll Kill Crew number one from the 90s. Oh, really? And Todd, I'll say to you, possibly a Grant Morrison story that even you would enjoy. Oh, I'll tell you, it's always one out of ten. That's the odds that I'm going to love a Grant Morrison story. Right. So, you know, I don't know. Go check them. Just add them to your cart. You know, they're digital. I have the links to them in the show notes. Um, They've been away for, like, 
almost a month and a half, two months that they haven't updated it. I'm not really sure why or how they're back or whatever the circumstances are, but uh, I don't know. Check them out. It's free comic books. What else you got to do with your life? <laughs> so uh, let's move into what we read from this past week, sir. Where would you like to begin? I would like to start with Dead Eyes, number three. Um, art by John McRae, writer Jerry Duggan. Um, this is, you know, after a long uh, hiatus due to legal battles. It, it, like we said, it was Dead Rabbit comes back as Dead Eyes. They even put out a one and two with a new, you know, trade dress of Dead Eyes and everything. And this takes place after the heist that the character Dead Eyes has done to help save, I believe it's his wife with her medical bills and it's gone sideways and the driver that he had crashed and he's in the hospital. So he feels that the mob that is coming after him uh, because they believe he stole this uh, millions of dollars off him years off them years ago uh, are coming to see the driver who's been, who's seen with him to ask him questions. And he's like, well, he's a friend. I have to save him. And through a series of events, he ends up, uh, going in and helping him out. And then we find out, uh, what really happened back in the day with the uh, money that he supposedly stole and that he didn't, that he's like, Ooh, maybe I have, uh, the lead on where that actual money is and he's going to hunt it down. Um, as much as I loved one and two of this book and was sad to see it go for a while away and it came back, I, I love it just as much. It has that, you know, hitman quality that we talked about with the Garth Ennis and John McRae who did that years ago, but Jerry Duggan, you know, is writing this one. It just feels... It, it, it's nostalgic for me and I, and I enjoy it. And this issue was very easy to, to pick up after the hiatus and the story. I thought I might be lost and have to read. Nope. It's a simple story. It's not deep. It's not, you know, many mysteries good to go with on it. And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. What did you think? Straightforward, graphic, fun, not in a goofy over the top sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, it did take a little getting back into the groove of McRae's art with the coloring. Okay. I like the way the covers pop, where you have mostly black and white with one color to make everything pop. Right. I'm not sure if it was the way that it was inked or the way that it was colored, but it's so different than the way that McRae's stuff is colored in his, I would say, his arguably most famous work in Hitman. Right. So... Every time that I'm reading, I'm like, is this McRae? It doesn't look or feel like his stuff because he's working from a different color palette than he used to in the past. And because there was the delay between Dead Eyes, you know, Dead Eyes, Dead Rabbit, one and two, and now here we are back to this. And I didn't read one and two. I did get them. I didn't read them because I already have them. Mm -hmm. But I have to have the whole run with the correct name. Right. Um, so, like I said, it, it's not that the art was bad by any stretch of the imagination. Really like the art a lot. It's just uh, took me a little while getting into it. The only thing I'm worried about is an image will do this from time to time where they won't clearly solicitate that something is an ongoing or a miniseries. Right. And obviously, it's a book that's set up to have a finality. You know, the the lead character, Dead Eyes. Coming out of retirement, putting, you know, his mask back on, if you will, to pay for his wife's medical bills. So there's going to be some sort of finality to this. He gets enough money to pay off his wife's medical bills. 
his wife dies and he kills everyone, or he dies in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. So is this a four-issue miniseries? Is this a five-issue miniseries? Is this an ongoing book that this is just going to go on forever? Right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying it's unclear. Like, the book isn't giving me... I get what you're saying because we've discussed this more than a few times that they never it always seems like if it's a six issue mini it will find out around issue four you know what I mean and it always makes me wonder if they never mention it it, that it's a mini so uh, people think it's an ongoing and they won't trade weight there's like like weird business things behind it but I, I know what you mean I feel like this book could be like Hitman run for 60 issues or it could run, like you said, in six issues and be done. I don't know. Um, I'm hoping it's it's a long ongoing, but I'm I'm there to write it out either way. But I'm with you. I just feel that right from the get go, everything should have what if it's a miniseries on the cover of one of six, one of twelve, whatever it is. But nobody does it anymore for 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 some reason until you're a couple issues in. I will say this for the benefit of some positivity. That, uh, you know, this is issue, um, issue three, issue, uh, four is solicited to be coming out in February, mm-hmm. February, January, my apologies. And then the trade of issues one, two, three, and four is solicited to come out in March and it's entitled volume one. Well, I'm guessing there's going to be more than one volume then. That would lead me to believe that there's more than one volume. Right. If this was DC, maybe I wouldn't be filled with such hope. But Image, I think uh, I'm confident to, confident to think there will at least be a second uh, volume. Right. There'll probably be many volumes like uh, Southern Bastard. Yes. There's a lot of delays on that book. <laughs> yes, book. there is. Anywho, let's move over to the uh, book that I was look- most looking forward to coming out this week. Speaking of books that... Uh, Sadly, it was very clear how long it's going to go for, and that's Inferior 5, number 4, uh, downgraded from a 12-issue miniseries to a 6-issue miniseries, uh, written and drawn by Jeff Lemire and the salty one himself, Keith Giffen. Uh, takes place during eighties late mid to late 80s continuity of DC. Uh, we kind of finally get what the Dominator's plan is in this. There'd been a lot of, like, toying around and, like, kind of laying the groundwork, but this is the issue where they explicitly come right out and say what it is. Right. And it's essentially them, the Dominators, attempting to replicate the age of heroes, if you will. The, you know, whatever is causing superheroes to appear on Earth, they need superheroes on their planet. And these young children who are kind of displaced because of all the damage from the invasion appear to be the only ones standing in their way unless Peacemaker can show up if it wasn't for those pesky Rocket Reds. We got our Rocket Reds, Joe. Uh, The dream has finally come true for you, Todd. Yes, it has. But the one thing that I do find amusing is that the big secret plot of Inferior 5 was the actual plot of Invasion, was that the Dominators were trying to figure out the metagene, because this is actually when they named the gene the metagene, because they couldn't say mutant. They lost that, you know, lawsuit. Um, So it was them like, oh, like, 
yes, they were trying to invade the world, but the Dominator's subplot in Invasion was like, oh, we're going to test and figure out how we can copy this metagene, one so we can shut it down, and one so we can kind of maybe use it to our advantage. So I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, same you know, copy an A, get an A. But uh, yeah, so I, I, like I said, I enjoy this. But then again, we said that this is very niche, like our wheelhouse, because we're two old men that love 80s continuity. Yeah, it's a good book. I'm sad that it's getting busted down because it's finally, I think, hitting its groove. Like the first issue I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, issues two and three, I don't want to say we're meandering, but I definitely think they were kind of stretching out the plot a little bit. And now that they see that their end is a little bit closer in sight, it's like, all right, guys, time to wrap it up. Take it home. They got the call. <laughs> right. Uh, but hopefully, if you enjoy this sort of stuff, if you enjoy uh, Jeff Lemire, if you enjoy the salty one, Keith Giffen, um, you know, I'm sure that you could probably find these issues relatively cheap. Uh, call it a hunch. I don't feel DC will be collecting this. I think they'll. I think they will be collecting. They want to give Lemire that paycheck. I think they'll be soliciting it. <laughs> No way. They don't they don't want to risk the wrath of the salty one. I don't think I don't think the wrath of the salty one has the same bite as it did 20, 30 years ago. I don't know. I think is this on my list of things? Yeah, I have this on my <laughs> list of things from last month that uh the inferior five trade will be solicited but not come out. Right. They haven't even gotten to the end of it and you're already writing notes about yep. it. Hey, man, DC's got a DC, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right, at maximum DC. Oh, my goodness. All right, so that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, where they get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed know it's coming out this week so that you have, I don't know, enough money on your PayPal, Google, iWallet thing to buy them if your comic shop does that sort of thing. Anyway, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out. There's only three weeks left in this calendar year. I am behind Todd by nine guesses, but I'm still going to try very hard to guess what he's most looking forward to coming out this week, especially since he is getting this side of the comic book store (laughs) that's right hey if you want to make things interesting you Mm -hmm. can always like wager points you'd be like hey if i get this right you know i get three points and you know we could we could work something out make make it you know so you could even it up we could make it very interesting but or you could just pick what you think i'm gonna take and that'll be the end of it but i go first again you know i'll I'll, i'm taking the loss but i'm not going out i'm not going down uh without swinging and then you know in three weeks everything starts from zero it's like the previous year didn't matter that is true the as always the previous years never matter so i'm looking over your list since i went first because it was two it was 480 joe i don't know if you know that that's when i start the show um I'm looking over your list. Is the book you're looking forward to most? What a, what a dainty list. I wish I had one of those. Um, Immortal Hulk 28? It is Immortal Hulk 28, yes. Uh, so looking at your list, it really could be anything. It could be all of them. It could be none of them. Uh, let's say it's Doom 2099 number one. 
It is Doom 2999 number one, even though I'm not a big fan of this whole 2099 crossover. Yeah. It just has Doom in the name, so that's almost like, you know, a bullseye if you aim at it. It's a Doom and it's a number one. That's all Todd needs. Exactly. So does this have any fancy uh, 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 variant covers that you're going to kick yourself for not getting? No, it does have a variant cover, but he's in a new Doom 2099 uh armor if he was in the classic doom 2099 armor and they had different covers with that i'd go no he looks more like like a updated infamous iron man armor which i was never big on anyway so i'm like eh, new armor no nostalgia to it don't really care i'll just get the one cover it does look cool he looks almost sleepwalkery well that was sandman done right mm-hmm so then is Doom 2099 Sleepwalker done right? I'm very confused at this point. I don't think Sleepwalker was ever done right. <laughs> all right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, uh, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and in each of the posts for the most recent episodes, if you are not me, and you know if you're not me, then good for you. Uh, there is links to every possible podcatcher that exists, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Player FM, TuneIn, Overcast, BeyondPod, and CastBox. If by some chance your podcatcher of choice is not on that list, let me know, and I will uh, jump through whatever hoops I have to to get it in there, and if for some reason yours is not updating, let me know. Every once in a while, you just kind of got to do a re-push on the uh, back end of all of these little podcatcher things to get them to show up. Not to say that my way is not infallible, because it is inf- it is fallible, but uh, you know, I know people like podcatchers. We want to make sure the, uh, the show is available in every possible way that you can get it. Yes. I was going to say, uh, always send those to Joe because I have no idea how to do anything. Or if, or if, you, send them to, if you send them to Todd, Todd's just going to send them to me so you can cut up the middleman and just send them directly to me. Yes. I may get around to sending them to you. <laughs> Maybe. Right. Uh, so, of course, you can check out our store, little tab there across the top with all the other tabs, uh, where you can buy shirts and stickers and pins, uh, directly from us, already pre-made, already ready to go, definitely will be there in time for the holidays, as there is only, like, 14 shopping days left before, uh, Christmas, but that's not the only holiday there is this month, um, I just know a lot of other places when you're shopping, it may not get to you in time, Unrelated, our T Public store is alive and kicking. You could buy different iterations of the Longbox Heroes logo, soon to be named Network logos, uh, at odds with wrestling logos and things inspired by this sh- this show here. The sale is still going on over at T Public. I think it's uh, it's claiming it's a limited sale, but I feel though as though this sale has been going on for the better part of the last week or two. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is actually the end of the sales. Who knows? Maybe it's a limited, unlimited, limited yes. sale. I don't even know anymore. So, um, also, the mo- uh, you can also support us with the Patreon uh, for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you could support us. 2020, you're going to get more for that dollar than you had been getting in the past. 
$5, of course, gets you After Dark earlier than everyone else. And because I've been slacking on dollar content the last couple of weeks, I made After Dark available to all Patreons, available, ready to go. Uh, so if you're listening to this, maybe too late to experience the true listening order in which the shows are recorded in. <laughs> maybe that's incentive for you to sign up for a dollar, <laughs> get in now when the new year begins. Uh, and I, I think by Thursday or Friday, the voting will be up for what the new uh, show is going to be. There's going to be two Patreon-exclusive shows. Uh, After Dark is not going away, but the part of After Dark that was like the movie review, TV review, you know, the the isolated thing that we would do once a month has become a Patreon show. We're putting another comic-focused Patreon show available there. Uh, whether you're a dollar patron or $5 patron, you're going to get those shows. The $5 patrons are just going to get them earlier than everybody else. Yes. But like I said, poll is going to go up of what the uh, movie show is going to be. And then uh, we, Todd and I have to record the pilot for the other show here probably next week or so. Yes. And I'll mention it here. That'll probably go out on the live feeds for both After Dark and uh, Longbox Heroes just as a tease. And on the Patreon just as a tease. So kind of everyone gets it all at the same time to incentivize you to check out the Patreon. Right. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did. Uh, Fred Chamberlain sent in. Uh, he said, I got this years ago when John Byrne was still accepting commission. It's his take on Dave Cockrum's cover from John's famous Marvel team-up run. The run remains one of the most solid comic series from the 1970s, and this piece is a fave. And it's got Spider-Man. It's got Hulk. I'm trying to figure out who that other person is i think that's like some like wood god or something like that or man i don't even know um but i love john Byrne's stuff and uh that's rather beautiful and i wish i could get a john Byrne dr doom but i don't even know if he's still taking that kind of stuff because he says he's not doing commissions anymore so hopefully someday i'll be able to get my hands on something but uh jealous that you know you got a big old beautiful john Byrne piece there that is very nice piece yes Yes, it is. And also T-Bolt 712 says, hey, Todd's Art Attack, this is my copy of Absolute Crisis on Infinite Earth signed by Marv, Wolf Marv Wolfman, Jerry Ordway, and George Perez. A few years back, Mr. Perez added Wally holding Barry's costume. Wally is my flash, and this moment signaled a new fastest man alive. Uh, love this book. And I think that's a beautiful, like... I remember me and me and Josh both got sketches off of uh, George Perez at the time. And he was like, yep, for this price, you know, you, I could set it up in advance. You come to the show, you do a thing. And I remember Josh saying, could you do uh, Wally holding the empty costume? And he's like, yep, and I don't think I've gotten asked to draw that before. I will gladly do that. And he did a wonderful job. And that is still, you know, an iconic moment for me, too, as a Flash fan and with Crisis. On Infinite Earths being on the CW this week, that is a perfect art attack for uh, today. Thank you. And hey, Todd, it's also second week in a row, the return of the mailbag. <gasps> Glad to hear it. Hi, Joe. As you know, I'm really hard at work at the next edition of the Mutant Minute. But in the meantime, I had a question for the mailbag. I was wondering, what are your all-time favorite New number one issues. Has to be a new number one. Can't just be a change of creative team. Okay, thanks. 
Thank you very much, James, for that question. And uh, that's what I get for giving out my phone number to people. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think this is something that we have kind of discussed in passing before, just kind of with a brush uh, in regards to this sort of thing, in regards to great first issues, right? Right. And this site uh, that I see here, shelfdust.com, kind of did a poll, middle of the year, uh, asking people to nominate what they uh, consider the the top 50 first issues of a comic book. And there's some interesting ones on there. Um, unfortunately, a lot of stuff on what's been revealed of the list so far that I disagree with. Okay. Um, I would say... Looking at the 20 that they've revealed so far, I disagree with, um, let's say half. There's a couple books on here that I haven't read. Right. So I can't really uh, say for sure. Um, but like the first issue of Eastman Laird's Ninja Turtle, perfect first issue, arguably top five well just on that one alone it has to be because that was really all supposed to be a one shot it had a middle beginning and end yep. took off and they had to figure out how to bring shredder back because they killed him. right so yes perfect that's why that's a perfect issue one uh morrison's uh morrison and howard porter's jla number one i feel it's a good issue one but it's a stronger as the full story the first four issues right mm -hmm. it was a good number one but it's stronger as the first four issues. That's kind of what I'm looking at it is. Like, is the first issue, does the first issue have a beginning, middle, and end? Can it be read alone? And if it can't be read alone, does it make you want to read more of the book? Not just, is it part one of a four-part story, if that makes sense. Right, you're deciding whether it has a middle, beginning, and an end, like... Blam! That's a perfect f first issue. We we can we can agree on that. But if it doesn't have that, it's got to have that hook that you're like, no matter what, I'm coming back next issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you know, I think Justice League One was kind of that way, right? From what I but, remember. And like I said, it's good. I don't say that it shouldn't be on the list, but it's just like if I'm reading issue one, I'm reading the first four issues together as though it's like one issue. Right, but that's a that's an interesting way to look at it, knowing that you've read those four issues already. Uh, like at the time, I, see, I'm looking at this, trying to look at it like the way I remember, I remember JLA one being enamored with it because of the first issue. And like, I think a big part of the JLA one was the big seven were together again for the first time after 15 years, it seemed like. So I don't know. I just get why this is on the list, but don't forget, according to this list, it's at 34. That's not a bad, you know, it's not like it's two, you know? So right. I, I get it. Uh, Planetary number one, good. Uh, first issue again. It's self-contained. Um, again, doesn't jump out at me though. But it's a good first issue. I remember liking Planetary more than you. Then I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number one, a good self-contained story. Uh, not great, but good. It's definitely uh, self-contained. Uh, Copra, I don't have the fondest memories and recollections of. I know a lot of people are like, it's a take on Suicide Squad. And I read Copra, and I'm like, oh, Suicide Squad's better than this. Right. Uh, never read Monstrous, never read Invisibles. Just I, going actually, I actually read Invisibles, mm -hmm. and, uh, eh, that's all I'm gonna right. say. 
Uh, Akira number one, I think, kind of gets a pass because the manga and it's not like your typical 22 or 24 issue comic book. It's almost like a digest size, like 96 or 80 some pages. Right. And most people watch the manga cartoon anyway. Right. That I know of. I mean. Uh, And see, and so this is where I kind of run into a little like the next ones on the list. Damage Control number one and We Three number one. First issues of a four and a three part miniseries. Right. They're like they're not complete stories. You know, those first issues are great, but not complete stories. I get you. I get mm-hmm. you. But once again, I think you're not looking at the what it's supposed to be. Is it a great first issue? It's not, is it a great full story? Do you know what I mean? Right. But my the criteria that I have in my head for a great first issue is it being a great story. Okay. Um, and I think where I'm, maybe I'm getting this mixed up is in my head is like great one issue stories of stuff. You know, obviously it'll, it won't be on this list because it's great issue ones, but that Flash 182, the Captain Cold single issue story thing, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite comics of all time. I get you. You don't really need to know the Flash or read the Flash, but you get a complete story of everything that you need to know in that one single issue. Right. Um, I mean, I to me, the one that kind of does it is the next one on the list is the question number one. Mm-hmm. That's the one where, you know, he I mean, it does leave you on a cliffhanger, but that is a what a 30 some or 24 issue, 36 issue run. So, you know, that's one giant story. And to me, that fits this bill a lot better than some of the other ones. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. The question just grabs you from the get go, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Secret Wars number one by Hickman again, not the, you know, it's a good issue, but, you know, I could definitely see people reading that and not coming back. Right. Uh, Suicide Squad number one, great, should be on the list, should not be this low on the list. Uh, I'd have to see some of the other ones. And obviously I never read all of these, so I can't comment on some of them, but um, like I said, like Dark Knight uh, Returns, I think is a good one, even though it's only four issues. I mean, that's a powerful first issue. Yep. Um, Even though I don't think the whole thing holds up as well as people remember. And personally, I never read Thunderbolts, and I feel at 50, that's exactly where that book lands. Should land. Nope. That's an insult to me and comic books. Uh, one of my favorite runs on a book. Um, obviously, I definitely think it was a product of its time that they can never get away with putting out a book like this in 2019, coming up here on 2020. But the fact that you technically, like, that could have very well been, like, a what-if issue. Right. You know, what if the the villains posed as the goodies? Spoilers, mm-hmm. everyone, for a 22-year-old <laughs> right. book, you know? Mm-hmm. but the I know. fact that the fact that it was able to sustain for as long as it was and put these new coats of paint on a bunch of characters that were you know not really used for the better part of the last 10 years almost in any sort of continuity and it was a great ending like if that was just the way that it ended and they never followed up on it like I said it was just a what if great but it spawned so many great comics. It, it spawned years of great comics. See, I and I, it's one of those things that you think I'm ribbing you or whatever, but because I read 
none of it. I know of the great reveal afterwards, but I never read Thunderbolts afterwards, never was connected to any of these characters. So to me, it's a big, okay. Mm-hmm. I, and I, that's the way it is. I mean, I, I get what you're saying because you read it and I will defer to you because you read it. But to me, this sits very f- firmly well at 50 because it's a famous book that I heard of, and, but never read. Right. So they're number 50 on this list. And I'll, I'll be eager to see, and I'm sure we'll probably revisit this as the year continues mm-hmm. as they put the rest of their list out over on shelfdust.com, not a sponsor. Uh, but I'll be interested to see what they put at number one. And my number one pick, Thunderbolts number one, and for the best new number one, best single issue, kind of sort of where my mind is trying to get shooken out of, is that Flash 182, the Captain Cold story. Right. No, I'm with you. To me, I stand by, and it won't be on this list because it's not a number one, is uh, Sandman number eight, man. It's just right. him coming the out of a sound big... of her wings, right? Yep. First appearance of death uh, comes out of a big, uh, like, hey, I had this, you know, I got ground down, and him and death sit down, and I'm like, I don't think you can beat a, a, a one-shot issue any better. I mean, that's literally in the first Sandman trade of eight issues. And they're like, let's put it in the second one, too. <laughs> oh, and we're doing the death miniseries? Slap that one in that that trade, too. That's how good that story is. You know, we still got 30 more to be revealed in this list. I wouldn't be surprised if Sandman number one's not on the list. I think it might be. I think that would be... A very solid number one. Yep. You you get a full story and you get like a reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Again, spoilers for a 30 plus year old book. But, um, you know, Dream is released from his prison and his quest to regain his tools is laid out in front of him. Do you think Preacher number one will be on this list? Hmm. That that one ends with a, with a big, you know. Yeah, I could see Sandman 1 and Preacher 1 being on this list. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. I wonder if even Watchmen number 1 will be on this list. Hmm. Just because it's Watchmen. Do you know what I mean? Like, whether or not you agree with 1 is an was is a great issue, or a great story, or a great lead-in, just because of the name Watchmen, it'll be on the list. I'd like to think that it'll be on the list for both reasons. The fact that it's a good right. number one and the fact that it's Watchmen. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of some other ones. You know, like predict. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brain is getting older, you know, and they, and they have to be a number one, which narrows it down for me. Yep. So it'll be interesting. We'll be, I think we'll kind of come back to this one as they uh, reveal more of the books on this list in the coming weeks as we get to the end of 2019. Sure, sure. So speaking of which, we're going to wrap up the comic book portion of the show, and we're going to get into the TV talk portion of the show. We got Flash, we got The Man, DeLorean, and we've got the first two parts of the Crisis crossover. Hopefully it has not been spoiled on you, as some of the stuff may have been spoiled on me. But we bid you adieu. Thank you very much for listening to episode 480 of Longbox Heroes. And uh, we'll give a break to some of the folks that are leaving because they don't want to hear no TV talk. Mm -hmm. So let's start with The Mandalorian. Sure, sure. 
So I was a little late to watch The Mandalorian uh, than other folks. And I saw a ton of people online saying that Episode 5 was not good. Right. And I'm like, uh-oh, has, like, the the wheels fallen off? Did something happen in the show? Did they already five episodes in betray the character and everything else like that? And then I watched the episode, and I'm like, this is just as good as the previous four. I would say that this was of equal quality, if not, you know, certain parts a little bit higher than others. Uh, Amy Sedaris being the, the mechanic person kind of threw me off a little bit. I still get shooken when I see real people show up in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing for a real person to show up, but it's for a real recognizable person to show up. And I can't think of her name, but she also was the bounty in this episode. And she was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and been a ton of other things. And I'm like, yes, I'm with you. And I'm like, oh, because I'm used to, um, even when they did the new, the new uh, trilogies that they're doing, it was like at the beginning, I didn't know a lot of these actors that were portraying like, you know, Kylo Ren and General Hux and, and Ray and Finn and Poe. I'm like, I don't know any of these people. So, like, when you see a star that you recognize, it, yes, it does throw me off now um, with, uh, with Mandalorian. Right. So she was uh, the, the, the bounty that they were after was uh, Melinda from S.H.I.E.L.D. She was also the voice of Mulan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of voice work, but, like, she was very known for her part in S.H.I.E.L.D. She was, like, in the entire run of the show. Right. And then I kept getting tripped up of the rookie bounty hunter that the Mandalorian was helping. Right. That I'm looking at him and, like, he's just, like, a working actor. He's no big deal. But he looked like a Franco brother. Okay. Like, I thought it was James Franco or, like, a relation of James Franco the entire time I was watching it. Fair enough. But as you were saying, like, I enjoyed this episode. Yeah, this, I, I thought I'm it not was great. Say, I thought it was a fun episode. I'm not going to say it was, like, you said, like, they all seem the same. I'm like, no, the episode to me where where the Mandalorian goes back and gets baby Yoda and then he fights his way out of the city. To me, that's heads, head and shoulders above all the other episodes. Not saying that, you know, the rest are bad, but to me, I'm like, that's that's just amazing to me. The rest, like, are, are different mileages for them. I think this was the weakest of the episodes, but saying it's the weakest, it's not, the, it's not bad. I just, there was parts of it where I'm kind of like, I hope there's more to them going to Tatooine than going to Tatooine for nostalgic sake. I think I've said nostalgia a lot on this show, but uh, just that, like, you know, is that the reason? Like, it's common, it's it's noticeable, it'll give you warm fuzzies watching it, or is it because the person who shows up at the end has something to do and we know, like, you know, that, that that's why we're here. Um, and that's what I'm hoping for. And I, you know, everybody's speculating, like, if I had a bet, maybe it's Boba Fett who's at the end of this episode. Hmm. Okay. That's who I think it is. He survived because it's five years after Jedi, I think. I don't know. Your friend told you exactly what the day, hour, and second was. That's true. He did. Um, But I'm thinking maybe he escaped the the Sarlacc pit because Beskbar or whatever armor is so good. And he's coming to see who the Mandalorian is walking around tattooing. That makes sense. I like that theory. Uh, that would be a cool thing to reveal the week. Like in next week's episode, you know, the one that comes out early right before 
the last uh, Star Wars movie comes out, you know? Right, and then maybe he's still around in the last Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the big, you know what I mean? Right, now, don't get me wrong that I'm saying, like, all the episodes are the same, but I've enjoyed, you know, on scales of 1 to 10, I would say that all the episodes have been, like, 8.5 to 10s, whereas, like, this episode was an 8.5. It was really good. I would watch it again. I'm agreeing. I just thought you meant, like, to me, I'm like, there's no way this episode, to me, is as good as the, you know, the the, the redeeming of, like, going to get Baby Yoda. But, like, saying that, I'm with you. This is an eight. Like, when I hear that that this is a terrible episode, I'm like, and even even I heard a lot of the, the you know, the the defending the, the swamp episode was a terrible episode. And I'm like, I, I guess we just have to either love or hate something. There's no in-between anymore, as we always say. So I'm with you. I, I liked, I've really liked or loved all of these episodes. Yes, I agree. So Mandalorian's still good. Um, next week's early because the new Star Wars movie is coming out. But let's get to uh, part two of The Last Temptation of Barry Allen, the episode of The Flash from last week, not the one that was on just like today, yesterday, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so this is... Uh, this episode was good, even though I finally buy... Um, Ramsey is a credible threat. They bring him down really easy in this. And I you felt mean- as though this was the Flash attempting to do The Walking Dead like four years after The Walking Dead was yes. something thing. you could parody or emulate or whatever they did here. Right. But you, his name is Bloodwork. You put some respect on that, Joe. One of the greatest Flash villains ever. But no, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I think they did do a good job with like the eeriness, especially like with Cecile and, and, and uh, what uh, like Cisco's girlfriend, I, I can't remember her name, trying to get out of the building. It felt more like uh, 30 days a night than walking dead. Um, it had that vibe to it. And I, and I liked it, but once again, I'm going to say this, it was a good episode. We, you can discuss whatever you want, knowing we're going into the crisis crossover. I just don't care. You know what I mean? Like wrap Ramsey up, do what you got to do. If we're going to finish him off on the second half of the season, whatever Um, my take on flash and arrow and whatever 24 episode uh, show that they're going to have. I really think they should start having two villains per season and 12. They, they defeat one and then mix it up because 24, as we always say is way, they never have enough story for 24 so give me two villains a season anymore yeah certainly uh but like i said i liked it but it felt as though it felt way too walking dead there was a bunch of camera shots there was a bunch of lighting stuff there was a bunch of choices made um it just it didn't feel like an episode like it didn't feel like an episode of flash for the most part until like the very end Mm -hmm. where you know barry kind of fought back against the infection and uh, Grant Gustin had some good, uh, like, fighting being possessed walking. Oh, that yes. The, so the one thing, I'm not sure what I hate more. When someone is wearing a mask or a cowl, and they very obviously have some sort of, like, makeup around their eyes, and then they right. take their mask or cowl off and the makeup's not there no more. Right. Not sure if I hate that or 
when you become evil or possessed or something and you become so evil or possessed, your costume changes and other part of parts of you physically change. Like how Barry had like that one big funky fingernail. Right. He had that, he had that wonky thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. He had the wonky thumbnail while he was evil. And then as soon as he shook, uh, being possessed, not only did the funky thumbnail go away, but the hole in his glove where the funky thumbnail poked out was repaired. Right. Um, this has nothing to do with anything in this episode. When it comes to TV shows, my or movies, my two biggest pet peeves are now is a big thing. And I think they did it in this episode with not blood, but water splashing on the camera. Yeah. I hate, eh. I hate that. I'm like, that's been done to death. And my biggest pet peeve in any movie or TV is when someone takes a lighter and goes like burn and they light it and they throw it into the pile of gas and somebody burns. I'm like, you just lost a, a perfectly good lighter. Like, couldn't you throw <laughs> a lit rag on the ground or something? Like, I know it really looks cool for effect, but like, man, that was my lighter. <laughs> you know, like I wanted that back. I hate that. I hate when they throw a lighter down into the thing. But that's all I got. Anywho, uh, Flash is wrapped up. Flash was enjoyable, uh, but n- now we're right into crisis stuff. Uh, the first part was on Sunday, which was Supergirl. Uh, I am very behind on Supergirl, and while I enjoyed kind of the assembling of the team and everybody there, mm-hmm. there sure was a lot of people I didn't recognize from the Supergirl side of things. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you know, I don't know who. I'm guessing that's Lana Luthor or whatever. That's Lex's sister, mm-hmm. and then everybody at the the, the government building where Supergirl works. I have no idea who anybody is other than Martian Manhunter, and that's it. Right. I, I pieced together that the one guy is supposed to be Brainiac, mm-hmm. but like Brainiac 5, but I... Th- and we'll kind of get to it a little bit when we talk about Batwoman, but I think because Supergirl has such a rich and uh, diverse cast, mm-hmm. and they were all in this episode for the most part doing prominent things, it was tough to keep track of everyone. That's right. Super the Supergirl TV show has a deep bench joke. Yes. So they are Earth 38, but we're getting to see from all over the all the all the other Earths. That's where we get our cameos, our Burt Wards, and your stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the uh antimatter as it's coming through the universe, the multiverse, um what is the little space station y city or whatever it is Argo. where was that Argo? Argo, yes. Um, that is like right in the path of destruction, and that's where Clark and Lois are. That's where Supergirl's mother is. But they then have to rescue the people from there, and then of course they also have to rescue people off of Earth thirty eight as well. Mm-hmm. And this is also where it's revealed to us, the layperson who may not be watching every single thing in the CW DC universe, is that. Uh, Ollie made a deal with the monitor that Ollie would sacrifice himself so Barry can live. Right. That happened during the Elseworld crossover. Right. So we are, we are reminded of it here. Right. I'm just saying that's where it happened. Yeah. Foot, the little, I'll be the little footnote editor on, in the comic. There you go. 
So I, I like this. It's just there was a lot of Supergirl people I didn't recognize. And Supergirl's hair and clothes look a lot different from the last time that I saw her a year ago. Okay, I'm just going to say I'm going to touch on that and then I'm going to run away from it. Okay. I think Supergirl looks the best she's ever looked. I, I don't know what it I didn't say go, I didn't say bad or worse. I just said that she looks different. Well, even Superman and Lois Lane when she projects her like uh your uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi you're my only hope hologram to Argo, they even say, "Hey, it's Supergirl." And she's wearing pants. So like I was I was the same way, but the haircut, the makeup I'm digging Supergirl, but uh, I, I love, there's a lot of stuff, even though it was, it was tough to wrap my head around the Supergirl stuff. Just the fact that we got uh, shadow monsters, we got the giant tuning fork tower. Um, we got heroes being heroes um, running around, saving the day. Ollie, like, he's like, you know, it's time to go. He's like, has everybody been evacuated? No, then it is not time to go. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, you know, if this was another thing, maybe, you know, a superhero would be snapping necks and said to save the day. But no, we're doing, you know, cool stuff to, to, to save the day. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And they beam not everybody, but a lot of people from uh, Earth 38 to Earth 1. So it, it was a good to me. I liked the episode a lot. It was a good yep. start. And from my prepared remarks and my jokes for the show for my writers, I'm glad that Ollie was able to make his noble sacrifice and not get kicked out of his Clash of Clans chat group because he wanted to appear on a cross-branded show. Okay. I can explain that to you later. All right. the people don't need an explanation. Right. Um, to me, though, like just one last note for myself. It was good to see Knox from the Batman movie in there. Yep. I I popped at that and I popped at uh well I didn't uh, Titans were there and then we got uh, you know Burt Ward um sadly though all of them have been because the red sky came and nobody was there to save them they've all been wiped out Joe. Oh, well they got their moment in the sun. Mhm. I wish I'd known that I would have interviewed Knox at Terrifica. Oh, I wonder if he had a no talk about it clause in his contract. I like that you're calling Robert Wool Knox. He will always be Knox to me. He'll always be Arliss to me, but that's the weird I, mental I did, thing that I have. I did love Arliss mm-hmm. with uh, Randy of the Redwoods as his, uh, his assistant. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I there were some really, good, uh, some really good cameos in this episode. Speaking of good cameos, mm-hmm. let's get to the Batwoman episode, uh, part two of Crisis on Infinite Earths. I'm a little bit more familiar as I've seen the first three episodes of Batwoman. And there's a lot less of the Batwoman stuff in here because we're already into Crisis on Infinite Earths, hot and heavy. And they talk about people, but they don't really get into what people are doing. Mm-hmm. And to make things even better, hey, we need to call up some of the legends. So I'm already like, we could have just ended the episode of the first act before the first commercial break. Because we get Rory... He's living on a different Earth with a wave rider by himself. He's reprogrammed Gideon to be Captain Cold. I want that TV show as a mid-season replacement. Right. Now, this isn't our Rory, right? No, I know. Okay. He's, he's, he's on a I said Rory. It's, all the Rory's are my Rory, Todd. Fair enough, because you said Rory's living on a different ship and he reprogrammed. I'm like, that is fine, because they went and they got a different wave rider with a different crew because uh, Sarah promised the, the, the good people 
of uh, the Wave Rider crew that there would be no more crossovers, which I cracked up at. So yep. I thought that was a nice nod. I think it makes it way too confusing, but I do think it gives you cannon fodder now. Do you know what I mean? Like, who cares if they kill Rory, if they kill Otherworld Rory? I know you'll care, but you know what I'm saying. Knowing that there's a that there are Rory is still there. Um, I do think that, you know, they, that might be a bit of a cop-out. If we get to destroy the Wave Rider, we get to do all this, and there's really no ramifications from it. If they do that, I don't know yet. The only ramifications are in my heart, Todd. That is true. I don't have any room in my heart for ramifications. It's filled with bacon. So the monitor gives uh, our heroes the task to go find, I forget what they called them in the show, but it's the Seven Soldiers of Victory, right? Right. Um, They already have two of them there, which is uh, Sarah and who was the other one? Uh, I thought... No, wait. They didn't know who who was the second one. I forget who the second one was, but they had to go find two more. And uh, trying to think who the second wasn't the second one's uh, Kara. Yeah, but they didn't find out that it was Kara until they came back. Oh, you know, oh. yeah, they did mention it was Kara. It was yeah, Kara. yeah. Because it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they go off to find the other two. And the other two are Kevin Conroy Batman right. and Brandon Routh Superman, a.k.a. Kingdom Come Superman. Which is also the Christopher Reeve Superman. Right, which is also the Christopher Reeve Superman. Because he does a whole bit where like it's like, oh, I did this, this, that. And this is the second time I fought myself, which is Superman 3. <laughs> that cracked me up. But, but I, 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 oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I look at the Kevin Conroy Batman as, cause he was on earth. Uh, was it uh, earth 90, whatever it was a certain earth, which was the year uh, Batman beyond came out. Cause if there's, there is rhyme or reason to the earths that they use. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he seems to be a mix of dark Knight returns, Batman, Batman Beyond and Kingdom Come Batman, if that makes any sense. Because he, he was in the armor, he was in the exoskeleton from Kingdom Come, but he seemed like the Batman Beyond because it was 99, but then because he killed Superman, it was kind of a Dark Knight Returns thing. So that's I, I have this weird you know fan fiction in my head of how all these come together. So. I did have people trying to spoil this on me. Mm-hmm. Is saying like, oh, it was in the commercial, so it's like okay for me to talk to you about it. I'm like, no, it's not. I don't watch commercials. Mm-hmm. What I live in 2019, I don't watch commercials. Leave me alone. Right. I um, knew this was. I was going to watch it. Why would I watch a commercial? Right. I knew they were doing something with Brandon Routh as Superman. I didn't know that it was going to be such a big part of the show. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, man, when uh, uh, Batwoman and Supergirl show up at the the Wayne Manor. And uh, what's his face? Luke Fox is there to stop them. And it's like Bruce isn't here, whatever it is. And then you just hear the voice. Oh, I was marked out so hard because I had no idea that Kevin Conroy was going to be in it. And I'm like, oh, are they just going to do like a thing where he's like an AI or something? And then it's actual like shoot Kevin Conroy as <laughs> Bruce Wayne. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I was going out of my mind. 
okay, I just want to equate this to something. Back when they did the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and they were like, oh, they, you know, they had cameos of clips of all the doc, the past doctors during the big, like, you know, triumphant scene or whatever. And there was no scene of Scarfy, the fourth doctor. And then, like, Matt Smith's sitting there and he's like, oh, well, you know what? The curator's looking for me. Maybe I'd be a great curator. And you hear that voice, like, maybe you would. And it's that unmistakable fourth doctor voice. I had, like, the same thing to a lesser extent because fourth doctor will always be my guy. But with Kevin, Con- I was the same way. I'm like, that, that voice is fantastic. And it took my mind and brain and eyes a long time to, to, to come to terms with watching something that was real life with that voice. If that makes any sense, I loved it, but it was still like, you should be a cartoon, but I still love it anyway. Yep. Uh, I'm okay that it would, with it not being a cartoon, but it was definitely when he was off camera he mm-hmm. put the voice on a little bit more right he put the stank on it <laughs> he put the stank on it but then when he was doing the acting he was doing like his normal kevin conroy voice which is batman's voice <laughs> right but you want to say pop joe like all right well, you're there with this but man when they go over and i'm getting the goosebumps again when they go over to, to uh to the daily planet and in they walk and there's brandon routh as 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 Clark Kent, and he's like, hey, nice glasses, and they're doing the bit, and then they walk in, and when he does the, the reveal of the suit, and they, they, when those soft horns start to play, Joe, I will pop every time for the John Williams Superman song, every time, I'm like, I lost it, and him in the suit, and everything, I'm like, Brandon Routh was fantastic, like, I marked out more times than I could think of in the show, seeing Smallville, with you know with uh lois and clark there i was like i'm having a blast when they did they because lex is running around killing superman in various earths they do the homage to superman the 75 the death of superman yep that uh one of the things that you might and they do uh, they do the smallville thing too but go ahead Right. Well, there's another one like when they show Knox in the going back to the first episode that he has the newspaper. It's Jerry Ordway art on the newspaper, which is he did the the uh, the comic book adaptation. So like and in the Kingdom Come Superman, when somebody gets pushed up against the wall, there's the actual like the the front of the newspaper is is Alex Ross art from Kingdom Come of gassing of the I'm like all these not like I'm like. I'm loving it just because I get to see all these things that are comic book nods, not just the TV show nods. Yep. But uh, the Tom Welling, Erica Durant, Smallville, Clark and Lois being in there was great as well. Mm-hmm. Or Clark and Lana, rather. Excuse me, Lana. Um, oh, that was Lois. Nope. They, Erica Durant played Lana. I will bet you $1,000 right now that Eric Durant played Lois Lane. Uh, because I can't think of what's her name played Lana Lang on the show. And she left. And when she left, Erica Durant came on as Lois Lane. Okay. My apologies. I'll walk that one back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I don't know how I feel about John Cryer as Lex Luthor. Well, he was, uh, there's an episode of Supergirl that he's on that I only watched because somebody told me, watch that because it's, Lex Luthor eccentric 
And uh-huh. if you watch that episode, he does an amazing job of Lex Luthor. You just have both two and a half men in your head, yes, and you have uh, Lex Luthor's nephew from Superman 4 in your head. But if you would watch that episode, he could be downright evil, but because we're in a big campy crossover, he's uh, he's yucking it up a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know if I want my Lex Luthor yucking it up, you know? Uh, by the way, it was Kristen Couric who was yes. Lana Lang. There you go. My apologies. No problem. I was I wasn't letting that one slide. That's my uh, that's the hill I was that was the Smallville hill I was willing to die on. There you go. And I wish and obviously uh, uh, John Cryer, Lex Luthor shows up, says that he's Lex Luthor, and Tom Welling's like, "You're not my Lex Luthor," and I'm like, "You're right. My Lex Luthor didn't get the call to be on the show, or they wanted to lowball him, or whatever did, they did." To... <laughs> do you remember what he said? I don't remember the exact words. I but remember it, was like, it perfectly like it was yesterday. He said, I got the call. They didn't tell me how long or how much or anything. They just asked me if I wanted to be part of it. And then he was like, well, I'm sitting. And I got the call while I'm sitting in my father's rest home or hospital room. And I was like, this isn't like enough for me to do it. And I was like, oh, you threw in that your father was sick to cushion the blow. I was like, that was that was cowardly there. Uh, uh, but uh he did say it was like they didn't give me enough information on what I was doing. And I think he would have just showed up as much as Tom Welling did. Yeah. Uh, there wouldn't have been much more. Um, so I, you know, good for him. But I would have loved to see him show up. You know what I mean? And then he could have played the voice of the Flash, too. Oh, there you go. But yeah, I don't know. John Cryer, Lex Luthor, the beard. I don't know what it is. Ducky from whatever John Hughes <laughs> film he was in. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, while he's got his... a lot to overcome, you know what I mean, right? But he's, then we—he's already the—he's already the worst uh, uh, on-screen Lex Luthor in history. Oh come on, really? Yep. Are you okay? You're 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 ribbing me now, right? Nope. You think he's worse than Eisenberg? Come on, really, Joe? Eisenberg gave a good performance, was not Lex Luthor, but at least he did Stop more with what he was given. St- I can hear you laughing. I can hear you grinning into the microphone. I'm <laughs> laughing at your faux outrage. No, there is outrage because John Cryer is a better Lex Luthor than, uh, than what's his face? I don't know. The, the Arrested Development kid knockoff actor. Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. Well, oh, I always had Michael Sarah's Lex Luthor. There you go. He'll always be Mr. Manager Luthor to me. But, uh, yeah, no, he's not the worst on-screen Luthor. Uh, so, yes. And then while this is going on, we forgot in the first episode that uh, that Arrow was supposed to die, but he died early. So they're going to Lazarus pit, pit him on another Earth where Lex or, uh, Jonah Hex is evil on it, which I didn't like. But, uh that was cool. Uh, so they he's come back as a soulless monster, which is always good, with a lust for killing. As you do when you come out of a Lazarus pit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. But no, I, I'm liking the crossover so far. I'm excited to watch the uh, Flash part. I'll probably watch it uh, after I'm done editing the show. I'm probably going to, too. And now, oh, and they also mentioned that one of the Secret Seven is, uh, is Batgirl. It was never Kevin Conroy's Batman. Yep. It was always her, and she stole the kryptonite that that Kevin Conroy had used to kill the Superman of his universe. So she hasn't. I know exactly when it's going to be used. So really, 
Yeah, in my head, uh, it's going to be like that scene where like everything's in crisis on Infinite Earth, the comic when everything's at its end and somebody has to go destroy the anti-monitor for the final time. She's going to use that to weaken Supergirl. So Brandon Routh has to go do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. like it's going to be the way to stop Supergirl from sacrificing herself. That's that makes sense. That's and just the my- anti-monitor shows up and he doesn't have his helmet. I know. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. Don't like it at all. And uh, Nash Wells is pariah. Pretty much, yes. Well, pretty much he says. He goes, now I'm just a pariah, everyone. Well, I'm going pretty much. It says here in the script, they've changed all my lines from Nash to now pariah. Yes, in case you, when you look at me, don't say Nash, say pariah. Well, what I mean is I kind of, sort of, because it's really, I hope they do explain some of it in the flashlight, because it's really ham-fisted that they they bring that in. Um, Like, I don't know. It's just weird to... To, to like just stream down the par- the pariah story and I don't even like know how it's going to fit in all there but I'm hoping I think they'll make it work and as I've said before I've been getting texts that I won't read about Crisis so I'm hoping Flash was good I hope I hope so too right oh, so I think want- that's it that's been a lot of TV did we miss anything from these not that I can think. We probably did. There was a lot going on in these episodes, but they were good. Yep. So. All right. So in a, in a time where we thought that we wouldn't have enough uh, to talk about, we have enough to talk about. So officially closing out episode 480 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.